How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's just jump right into today's subject. Where essentially, uh, first, just a, a just a touch on it really quickly. I'm not going to spend an entire podcast talking about it. I guess I could, I could in theory, but I wanted to talk about something else. But the 1.9 trillion dollar uh, stimulus package, or like a uh, COVID relief package that the Democrats have been pushing for for a long time uh finally got uh pushed through um something called budget reconciliation where essentially um a new administration could come in and kind of make an adjustment to a budget that was already approved by um a previous by a previous administration it's not really by presidential it's more uh congressional but essentially you kind of need the president to be signed on as well so you kind of need everything to fall into place and uh, they were able to allocate more additional funds towards these programs. And uh, for a lot of people that are struggling out there, this is really great for them. Uh, it definitely should have happened months and months and months ago. I really don't think this is going to be anything more than a Band-Aid for those that are struggling. But at least it's there for them now. Um, so there's... Uh, money for individuals, uh, so money is being allocated. Not much; it's like twenty billion dollars, I believe, but allocated to people that are behind on utilities and, and rent payments and mortgages. There's uh, more money going in for unemployment. That if you're still unemployed, uh, you'll have money there for you until September. It's like three hundred dollars a week, I think, on top of what you would already get from state unemployment. I think that's the way it works. And so I think the minimum, uh, like I think Florida is one of the worst. I think they only pay like a maximum of like 250 a week. Now you'll get about 500 a week, which is, you know, good. That's definitely a livable allowance for people that are struggling at the moment, waiting for work to kind of reopen up. Uh, one of the things that I thought was really cool was um, you get a tax credit on the first $10,000 of income that you make. Um, if you... Uh, and I, or actually, I think that's applied to unemployment. So I think if you make more than ten grand in, in unemployment, you only start paying taxes on the number after ten thousand dollars. I don't know if that's also taxable income. If it is, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and also, if you have a child, you're going to get a lot more of a, a tax credit. Which um, you know, it, it's definitely helpful for a lot of families out there. So I think starting next tax season. Um, so when you follow your 2020 taxes for 2021, you'll get, I believe it's like $3,500 per kid that you have between ages of, of zero to, or from like months to seven. And then um, any children over seven, I think you only get like three grand, which is still, you know, a good amount of money. And so that should definitely be very helpful. And that's a tax credit. So you're entitled to get that. Um, the only reason you wouldn't be getting that is if you have some kind of tax obligation or you have wages garnished for back child support or something of that nature. But um, it's it's different than a deductible. A lot of people always get that kind of confused. Uh, by the way, I have to preface this. I'm not a, uh, a, um, a tax person in any way. Like, don't come to me for any tax advice. But I always found it so funny when people have to, like, start off their, like, YouTube series or podcast or something like that by always prefacing like I'm not a financial advisor or I'm not like a an accountant. So <laughs> I think most people can get that if they listen to you. But I guess if it's the first time they're subscribing to you, they could get mixed impressions. This by no means is a, a financial podcast. But um, so a deductible, essentially what it does, it, it lowers your 
um, your total income that you potentially made that year and it puts you in a lower tax bracket. And by putting you in a lower tax bracket, essentially the amount of money that you were already paying into your taxes before, you're paying into that based off of an, an adjusted income based off of like what you reported to the government. But then after like deductions, deductions essentially are things like um, business write-offs or um, a lot of other things. Uh, Again, like I don't want to preface this. This is just very in general, but anything really associated with you paying into a system that generates you more wealth in general, in theory, this isn't everything, but in theory, those things can all be used as taxable deductible items and then they can come off of your total income made and then put you potentially in a lower tax bracket, which then would mean that you paid more to the government than you needed to. And then that's how you get most of the time. That's how people get tax refunds. That's what they're doing is they're lowering their potential income. And there's like a standard deduction, which I think um, the Trump tax reform that he did like two years ago, puts the standard deduction, I think, for most individuals at $10,000, I think. I can't remember. It's like $7,500 or ten grand. Um, and But credits are different. Credits are essentially money given to you by the government for whatever kind of subsidies in place. Generally, it's for students and parents and homeowners, uh, essentially, I think. I could be wrong about that. I know there's a deductible on homeownership, but I don't know. Maybe there is a credit. There's also a credit for um, like renewable, like if you get like an electric car, you get that tax credit. Like let's say you buy a Tesla, you get a tax credit for that, but that comes on your taxes. You don't get that. Like when they say like, oh, this car is worth this much after tax credits, that doesn't get applied immediately at the time of purchase. You get that when you follow your taxes. <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, you get, um, so there's some tax benefits as well there with the stimulus package and then there's uh, still continued rollouts of the PPP or PPE loans, essentially the pandemic relief pack. What was it? The, I can't remember what, but anyways, like the, the small business loans that were, uh, or money allocated for, for companies to, um, get loans. And essentially if they, if they do get the loan, uh, they can have that loan written off by the government if they do certain criteria, one of which is not laying off their workforce and keeping their workforce on, on staff and a lot of other parameters as well. But, uh, even if you do have to pay it back, the interest rate on it is pretty low. So that's pretty great as well. Uh, and just a lot of other things as well. Um, a lot of, a lot of politicians, progressives in general, wanted to raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, which I totally stand behind. And to those, I think that that's going to be kind of like a, a, a career ending experience for a lot of people that make minimum wage already. You'd be very surprised. <clears throat> There's a lot of states already rolling out a $15 minimum wage and or like $12 minimum wage, anything above the federal minimum wage. And they're doing fundamentally well. Businesses are already on a trajectory to kind of eliminate most jobs anyways. This is just kind of help people out, create like a little buffer between now and when businesses like McDonald's, like I did in my previous podcast like a week ago, where I talked about how like McDonald's is going to eliminate a third of its workforce by having drive through people now replaced with automation. So automation is going to be taking over jobs anyways. So this kind of helps people along the way to the point where they don't have to live on um, our taxpayer money, essentially. This is forced onto businesses to kind of figure things out. And people would argue that it would raise the cost of items, but 
not really. If anything, increasing minimum wage actually helps businesses tremendously because that money just kind of comes back to them, is argued. But either way, it didn't pass that it was supposed to be in this uh, reconciliation package, but one Democrat and they needed all 50 uh, Democrats and the vice president to be the tiebreaker to sign on board on the, the, um, on, on that $15 a month or like the $15 an hour minimum wage increase. But, uh, one Senator, uh, why am I forgetting this, this moron's name right now? Uh, man, it was on the tip of my tongue. I'm forgetting it already, but anyways, Manchin, Joe Manchin out of Virginia. Was it Virginia? I, I could be wrong about the state, but he is a very uh, conservative liberal. <laughs> He's like a moderate, I guess. And he could not stand for an increase in minimum wage. And so they needed him and he wasn't willing to budge on that. So they couldn't get it passed. And actually, I think other Democrats, it wasn't just him. He made a big deal about unemployment. But he also made a big deal about this. But then I think five other Democrats also weren't in favor of increasing minimum wage. And so essentially that kind of died out. But I do think that it should be passed. Uh, and I could do a separate podcast on that, really. But that's it. That's the $1.9 trillion. It's a lot of money. And, uh, you know, old me would have been like, especially when I was a conservative, when I was a lot younger, uh, I was a fiscal conservative. I w- I used to think that, oh my God, like we're adding a lot more debt on the books. Like that's going to destroy our country. But a lot of economists now are starting to realize that the the debt ceiling really doesn't matter because what happens is that as you put more investment into the economy and into the people, you get more, <clears throat> essentially for every dollar the government puts into a system that helps people, they generate more wealth. They generate more than just that dollar. So, uh, I mean, it, it's it it's shown that throughout the course of history now it could be argued that like if you start giving people free money that might be a little bit different but like having these social programs and having things that kind of help people mitigate their stresses give people more options and allow people to kind of have like a a peace of mind of knowing that you know they if they get a job they're going to be able to kind of afford the cost of living in the area that they live in you know all of these things factor into a better a better situation not only for the employee but for businesses as well and so that money and and the tax revenue tends to generate more wealth typically and so um yeah it seems like 1.9 trillion dollars is a lot but essentially if we didn't do this the potential impact on on you know the government would be tremendous i mean our, our GDP has been slowed down for a long time now and it just, we kind of need this to kind of make it through this next part. And uh, wonder this kind of segues to the next point. I read an article today where a lot of people are making predictions right now where essentially if we can maintain the trajectory of the vaccines that we're doing right now, there is a very high likelihood, they claim, that there should be some level of herd immunity by July of this year. So in three more months, essentially the theory is, is that we will have three and a half, four months. We should have um, some level of immunity that the, the, the transmission of this disease to the next person will become so incapable that 
you know, there will still be people getting infected, but not enough people that would cause this to kind of infect the general population. And so that's a mixture of people that have already been infected, which I don't think a lot of people really accounted for in their previous predictions as to how many people need to be vaccinated. And the number of people that are getting vaccinated now, mix those two numbers together, and that's how they get to a July figure. And that's with, and and it's accelerated now even more because of the fact that Johnson & Johnson's vaccine got approved, which is not as powerful as other vaccines, as a Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. But the benefit to this one is that all the va- vaccines, including the Johnson & Johnson, they aren't 100% effective. Johnson & Johnson, I think it's only 60, 60% effective when it comes to actually getting the disease. Pfizer and, and, and uh, Moderna, I think, are like in the upwards of like high 80s to low 90 percentile. So you can still get infected on these vaccines. But the thing that makes these vaccines so valuable is the fact that they they minimize your ability to die from the disease tremendously. So essentially, you will get the disease, but it will just be kind of like a common cold. You'll kind of deal with it for a little bit, and then it's over. And then at that point, your body you know, becomes relatively immune to the disease period for X amount of time period, which I, I think the science is still doing. They're still doing research on that. I think it's, you know, number numbers are ranging anywhere between two months to four months. Generally, how long you have uh, antibodies in your body that would essentially make you theoretically immune to acquiring the disease. The only thing that really can throw this figure off is if there's some kind of freak mutation in a disease that occurs sometime between now and in July, that becomes a lot harder and a lot rarer, though, if you start to minimize the amount of people that get infected because a disease for it to kind of change fundamentally and acquire new traits would require it to kind of have this ability to kind of transmit itself to different people and in the process of transmissibility kind of learn um, and evolve in such a way that it become, it acquires new traits. So hopefully that's not going to happen anytime soon. And all then we have to worry about is now other countries that have kind of done a really good job of perfecting their quarantining and making sure because now they're they're a different story. Like countries like New Zealand, South Korea, a lot of countries that have very low transmissibility numbers and um you know, a lot of people just a lot of people have been very safe. I th- I was talking to someone from Greenland the other day. Uh on a voice chat and he was something like essentially it's like New Zealand. They, no one's had the disease in, in quite some time. Those countries have something to fear. And that is essentially that all their people have not been affected. There's no antibodies spreading out there. So they need to get their populations completely vaccinated. And so the, the thing is like, we need to get the areas where the disease is like very populated at the moment, get people to some level of herd immunity and then, work on countries that have been like shut down for a long time and get a majority of their population vaccinated, at least people facing people um, vaccinated. So, you know, this disease kind of just becomes slowly eradicated from, from our world. Hopefully, you know, I, I hope that it doesn't become like a flu or something of that nature. It's a really interesting disease and there's a lot of money going and in, invested into making sure that this thing just gets eradicated and it's it's pretty amazing to just see the level of uh, work and 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 science that goes into something like this. It's it's crazy to see, but 
Anyways, that's why the stimulus package for those people that think like it's not needed right now, like everything's trajectorying like on a trajectory to to be better. I agree. Like everything, if you look at the numbers and you look at the reported deaths, the amount of people that are getting affected, the numbers are are way lower than they were same time last year. Um, but at the same time, all of that shit that happened throughout the winter, especially when a lot of people were getting sick and a lot of people were getting laid off. Those people are still struggling and we need to keep those people afloat because if not, we're going to have a bigger issue after this pandemic. And a financial crisis is something that no one wants to deal with. And if you can invest money now and save ourselves from something that's even way worse than this potential what this pandemic could mean for America, then I think it's totally worth it. So um, I guess it, it, it made sense for me to kind of go into detail about the $1.9 trillion package plus the, you know, the reported potential for this disease to kind of be over with by July. Those are all great. I'm so looking forward to this thing being done. I really am. I like, and July is perfect because that's like kind of, it's starting to get into fall season. It's not so ridiculously hot. July is like the hottest month here in Las Vegas. And so when we start going into August, September, beautiful months, it'll be great to kind of go out, feel safe. And, um, you know, show my daughter the world. I, I cannot believe she's only seen so like only like when we drive around to get to her doctor's appointments and just the house, that's it. And we take her for walks in our neighborhood, but that's about it. So there's a huge world out there and I want her to be exposed to it. So uh, I cannot wait for that. I'm so excited for that. Either way though, thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast and I'll catch you guys manana. Peace. <laughs>